Hey, Jared Dubin here once again. We are releasing the audio from Tuesday's chat on the Halftime app. I was joined by Seth Partnow from The Athletic and Stats Bomb, as well as Kirk Henderson from Mavs Moneyball. We talked about uh, a whole bunch of different things. And before Seth and Kirk showed up, took some listener questions at the beginning, talking mostly about the Miami Heat. I talked a little bit about OG Ananobi and the Raptors at the beginning as well. So a pretty good conversation runs about an hour long. Enjoy. Seth is running a few minutes late here, so we're going to get started in a few minutes. Until then, um, if you got any questions, throw them in the chat, and I'll try to get to them if I can until Seth gets here. But uh, first, I want to talk about OG and Anobi, because what he did against the Knicks last night was just rude. (laughs) I mean, he was making shots off the dribbles, step backs, pull-ups mid-range, in the paint, drove right through Julius Randle at one point and just kind of muscled through him for a basket. I did a video earlier that I put up on Twitter. I mean, if OG is going to do stuff like that, the the all-star prediction that I made is going to look tame. I mean, granted, I, I, I think I picked him for most improved for the second straight year because basically I thought that this leap that he's making right now was coming – last year and uh it looks like it's just coming a year later but the dude is ridiculous and it's it's a development track that looks extremely familiar to me because if you look at the progression and look i, I don't make this comparison lightly because comparing anybody to this guy's development track is a little outrageous because it's really unusual Look at the development track from Kawhi Leonard from what he was doing in his first few seasons and and then what he did in his fourth and fifth seasons. And that's really when he made like back-to-back leaps from really good role player to star and then all of a sudden to outright superstar where he's been for like five years or so now. Uh, OG is making that fifth season leap right now. Um, we're going to get Zach California here. Um, he just requested to speak. I don't know how to, uh, to answer that. There we go. Yo, what's up? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sweet. Um, I just wanted to throw out a hot take that I had, um, that I think is actually going to come true this season. I put it in the chat, but I think that Jimmy Butler is going to end up top five in the MVP voting this year. What do you think about that? Um, rumpled foreskin. We'll get to you in a second. Um, (laughs) What a name. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Jimmy, like, so I love Jimmy, and, and I love him, I think, a lot more than a lot of people. My only thing is, like, you look at him the last few years, he doesn't play a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you got to mm-hmm. play 70-plus games probably mm-hmm. to get in the MVP mix. He played 52 last year out of 72. Like, if he plays 60 games, can he be the MVP? I, I don't know. Yeah, like, probably not. Probably not. 
you know, he's he's making his threes early this year. Granted, he's not taking very many of them. Mm-hmm. Like, he's an without question to me like an MVP caliber player. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of him being on the floor for enough games and minutes mm-hmm. to be in the MVP mix. And I don't know how likely that is. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm with you in terms of his impact and how good he is, but. I think that they're a team that clearly has bigger things in mind than regular season success. And yeah. given the way they're playing early in the season, they might not need to chase regular season success and they might be more willing to, you know, have him sit out or have him, you know, play 29 minutes on the second end of a back-to-back or whatever it is. So I, I like the boldness of the take and I agree on how good Jimmy is, but I'm not sure I agree that he will be um, a top five MVP guy this year. Mm-hmm. that's fair I mean yeah it's a hot take for a reason I just think um I think a big thing is that I mean the heat kind of took a step back last year but I do I mean as they're playing through the first six or seven games they've looked really good Jimmy's putting up like 25 a game on efficient shooting splits um and Jimmy's a big thing with Jimmy is like he's made his impact known but the big thing was kind of always his stats were they were fine but they weren't MVP caliber stats when looking mm-hmm. at him but I think that that can really change this year and I mean looking at his stats right now they look really good um, you brought up the good point of you know him playing enough, and if he does, I guess that because that's a good point. I guess you never know, but if he does, I think he could have a legitimate shot at it. But yeah, it's a hot take for a reason. But I think yeah. it can happen. Um, I'm with you. If he plays 70 games, like I think he'll be in the mix. I just think it's it's not that likely that he gets to you know like a 70 game mark or something like that. We're going yeah. to again, um, Rumple Foreskin here is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, just when it comes to Jimmy Butler, um, I, I mean, I, I really disagree because to me, Jimmy's more of a – he's a star, but he's not a superstar, you know. Um, so I don't think he'll have the consistency throughout the season to put up MVP numbers. I think the Heat team will slowly fall apart because I think – I don't know. I, I personally don't like some of the pieces they – eh, like Harrow – Robinson, I don't like him. Um, I think Butler, I mean, he's he's good at some stretches, but then there's also games I've seen him where he shoots like six for 22. Like, I don't know. I, I just don't trust him to, you know, be that consistent, to be that guy. I don't, like I said, I don't think it's, a, I think superstars are those guys like Giannis who are just like, you know, consistently amazing. Um, like, you know, it's very rare for them to, you know, get below like 26 points, you know, sometimes it feels like. But uh, Jimmy, like, I don't know, to me, he's he's a star. And he's not – and just generally, I think uh, – I don't know, some people seem to think he's, like, a little more than what he is. I mean, he's never been able to carry them. Like, you know, Giannis has been able to carry or LeBron's been able to carry or Curry's been able to carry. You know, I just think he's a, a step below the, all those guys. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. Um, he, he hasn't had the consistency in – and especially, again, in terms of just being on the court, you have to be out there every night to yeah. be a Giannis or a LeBron or a Steph. And or also, one of those yeah, guys. he carried him to a Mickey Mouse final. I'm not going <laughs> to that. Yeah, I mean, look, MVP is a regular season award anyway, so it doesn't particularly yeah. matter what you do in the postseason. Yeah. My thing with Jimmy is, like, he's not necessarily as consistent as the guys that you're bringing up. I think that's true. Mm -hmm. He also is a guy that is perfectly willing to say like, I'll take five shots tonight and dominate the game in different ways. And that's not necessarily something that gets you MVP votes, 
but yeah. it is something that that helps your team win a lot. And we've seen. Yeah, I wouldn't that. hate having him on my team, but I would realize that I'd need some more star power than just him to you know go. Yeah, off I mean. Day. I think that that's why they went and got Kyle Lowry, you know, as a big reason, you know, they need another guy who can be a consistent scorer, a consistent distributor. And they have Bam, who's another guy who's going to be a consistent, you know, all around type of play. Like they're honestly, the three of them are like very similar players at point guard wing and big. Yeah. Yeah. Where, they're all great team players. And yeah. I, I do wonder like, like maybe you can create a team because it seems like, you know, you need a superstar to, you know, win a championship, you know? Um, but it is interesting, like, you know, will there be a team that is, has so many just, you know, this is such good depth with role players that they'll like, be able to, you know, usurp a superstar team? I don't know if that's possible or not, but it'd be interesting to see. Like, if the Celtics got, like, a really like a really good big man, like a, a really solid center alongside Jason uh, Tatum and Jalen Brown, assuming Tatum calms down on his shooting. Um, <laughs> I think that, like, maybe the Celtics would have a shot maybe at, like, you know, possibly, like, upsetting the Nets. But, like, so far I don't think I see a team deep enough to, like, take on, like, you know, the Lakers once they get rolling or the Nets, you know, full power. Yeah, I mean, the the Bucks you got to throw in there with them too. Yeah, 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 the Bucks. Yeah, my my oh, thing yeah. with Miami is I, I actually don't love their depth. Like, it's once you get beyond the five starters and Hero and, like, maybe if you squint one of Dwayne Dedman or Markeith Morris, like, <laughs> it's just not a very deep team. If they get injuries anywhere among those top six guys, all of a sudden it's, it's a much different team. And, yeah. um... You can get away with playing six, seven guys in the playoffs once you get beyond the first round or two. Um, you can't do it for the entire regular season. Maybe somebody like Max Struess or Gabe Vincent or like uh, they still got Casey Apala. Maybe one of those guys, you know, steps up and maybe they can get Oladipo back at some oh, point. Yeah. I'd love to see Oladipo return to his normal self. I mean, I yeah, love him back on Indiana in his prime, but yeah, ever since that injury. Hasn't really been the same. It's it's tough to count on him being the guy he was before at any point, just because you know we haven't seen it since then. With with yeah. Boston, I mean, I'm a big Robert Williams guy, just in terms of the versatility of what he's able to do. He's mm-hmm. obviously great at protecting the rim. He's a really good passer for a big man. He's not necessarily a guy that you can count on to anchor your entire defense at this point yet, yeah. even though he does have those skills. To me, I think what they need more is a guy who's going to like get the offense organized. Um, you know, Marcus Smart not necessarily a point guard. Um, Dennis Schroeder is not like he's not a, a prototype point guard. He's a good player. He's more of a scoring point guard off the bench. Yeah, exactly. He, he's a speedy guy who he's more of like a gadget. You know, not supposed to be like a full time. You know, lead, like you know, commanding the offense. Yeah, and like they've they've had obviously different point guards the last few years. They had Isaiah Thomas, and then they had Kyrie, and then they had Kemba. Those guys are not like they're they're mostly you know guys that are going to look for their own offense first and foremost. Yeah. And at first, that meant you know that that Tatum and and Brown were sort of taking on secondary tertiary scorer roles. They've obviously progressed well beyond that at this point, and that made Kemba an awkward fit the last couple of years because all of a sudden he didn't have the ball in his hands either. So it's like you need a point guard who can both organize the offense but play off the ball also 
and that's just like a very specific fit. I'm not even really sure who you would go about getting for that kind of role. I know, role. yeah, it's weird. It's just like Lowry is like the best just, guy for that yeah, kind of role. Turns into crap like Kemba and I mean Carrie wasn't crap, but you know, it just it just yeah, they both just fit so awkwardly, you know. It's it's so weird because the Celtics, I mean, it's like they're one piece away, but like yeah, like you said like what is that other piece to get them there? I was thinking like Maybe like a dominant, like kind of big man more, like would maybe, you know, like I would not mean to trash Robert Williams, but, you know, I, I don't no, know. Robert Williams is not a guy that you're like running your offense through. So I know what you mean. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, let's let's go back to, to Zach California here real quick. Um, if I can figure out how to switch from one to the other. There we go. Sweet. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Awesome. <clears throat> Real fast, I wanted to say that I think the piece that I was really kind of rooting for was Lonzo Ball to get to the Celtics um, last offseason. I think that the biggest thing that uh, the Celtics needed was like a primary like facilitating point guard. I really did. And a big man, but I also really was hoping for a point guard, even like a Rondo. But I think Lonzo would have fit perfectly with Boston. Um, I think if he could have gone there, I honestly see them as title contenders. So, I really like Lonzo. I don't know that he's necessarily the kind of player you're describing, though. He's not like a a guy who you set up the offense through. Like, a lot of the success he had last year in New Orleans was playing off the ball and being sort of a keep-the-line-moving kind of guy. He's Uh obviously really good in transition, but he's not necessarily someone you, you like put put at the top of the floor and run like fifty pick and rolls a game and have him sort of run your offense. It's not really what you're doing with Lonzo. He has been a good shooter, and that enables him to sort of play in that off ball role we're describing. Like it's it's really hard to find a good fit when you have two ball dominant wing players like that. Like Kyle Lowry might have been the best fit, but I don't know how they were going to go about getting him. I don't know how they were going to go about getting Lonzo either. Granted, you could do what the Heat did, and it's a sign-and-trade type of situation, but yeah. I don't know you know, who was forcing their way to Boston or how they were getting somebody like that. Um, all right, we got Seth here now, so we're going to move on to that. Seth, how are you? And if, if anybody has questions for Seth, by the way, put them in the chat. We'll try to get to those as well. Seth, Seth, what's up, ma'am? Uh, I think your volume is not working here. So a uh, little bit of technical difficulties, obviously. Um, Seth has a book coming out, by the way, The Mid-Range Theory. You can buy it wherever you buy your books. I did not get a free copy because I wanted to buy it and put some money in his pocket. And uh, I believe that's coming out a little bit less than two weeks. And uh, so it's about essentially, you know, the analytics movement in the NBA, what is and isn't analytics. I'm excited to read it. I've seen portions of it because I saw before it was published it gave some thoughts on uh, a couple chapters or two here and there and if you're at all interested not just in analytics in basketball but anything in basketball I think it's going to be 
a great book for people that just want to learn more about the game from somebody that spent a, a few years in a front office and around a team. Seth is here once again. Can you hear me I now? I can hear you now. I have been okay, there we go. trying to pump up the book, which I have seen pieces of but I, not I, I heard you pump it up and I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Um let's sell sell the book to the people yourself. Don't don't make me do it. So I think that there is a lot of misconceptions about what analytics is because too often it gets um described and defined by the people who know the least about it. And so I'm sort of taking an attempt to uh, demystify it a little bit and, and show the ways in which it's just basketball. It's, it's basketball uh, through another lens, but it's, you're asking and answering the same questions and from a very similar knowledge base. So it's not fancy equations and, and abstruse models. It's, it's basketball questions being answered with basketball data. And so, um, kind of going through a lot of different topics in the modern NBA, looking at kind of how we got here, what's actually happening. I think a lot of the, the crit, some of the critiques of the, the modern game sometimes fall flat to me because they, they frankly misdescribe what's actually happening. Now, that doesn't mean that people aren't reacting negatively to something, but if, they're, if the thing that they say they don't like is something that isn't actually happening, makes it kind of hard to, to fix. So... Um, really looking at at kind of both from a, a technical standpoint, but also from a basketball and rule standpoint, kind of how we got to where we are, and and discuss some things like obviously it's called the mid range theory, so the uh, the rise of the three pointer, <laughs> but also uh, some stuff looking at the draft, looking at the differences between uh, playoff and regular season play, which I think is uh, larger than it's ever been, and and what the implications of that are. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, how action analytics, quote unquote, I, I don't love the term, but we're stuck with it, but how the discipline is actually practiced in an NBA front office. Um, there's a, an appendix that is, that is kind of a primer on basketball analytics for, for people who, who kind of haven't really been exposed to it, try to, to, to make it a little bit more explainable at the base level. And, um, a bunch of other topics, obviously talking about defense, um, at, at some, um, you, you, what else did you read from it? I've, I, 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 I feel like I've been talking so much about it that I, I've almost forgotten what's actually in it. I feel, I saw like pieces of two different chapters. I think if I'm remembering, this was back, uh, at one and over the summer, one of them was like the intro on what analytics is and isn't. I think. And then the other one was on like threes and shot selection, if I remember correctly. But all I know is between your book and Chris Herring's book on the 90s Knicks and Alex Wong's book on the history of the NBA, of the modern NBA as told through like magazine covers, it's like I'm going to have so much reading to do. And then specifically with Alex's book, so I used to just, obviously, you know, I'm 34 years old. So growing up in the, the 90s and early 2000s and whatnot, Slam Magazine and Sports Illustrated and whatnot. And, like, I had all of those 
And uh, by the way, Justin just dropped the link to Seth's book in the chat for anybody interested in getting their hands on it. But I had all of those slam magazines like in my room and then I left for college and I left them in my room and my mom threw them all out. I've never been so mad <laughs> in my entire life. And so like, I need to get Alex's book just to like relive my teens and early twenties and whatnot. It's like, I got so much to, to catch back up on. That reminds me that I never forgave my grandmother for 40 years earlier or however long earlier throwing away my dad's baseball cards, which included like a Ted Williams rookie card and stuff like that. But that's, you know, that's, 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 that's too much family drama, isn't it? Oh yeah. Um, I don't need to, to air out my grievances with my mother again, especially since <laughs> I told her about this all the time. Um, I, I want to talk to you about something that you've been talking about a little bit early in the season, the concept of hard minutes and how that applies to you've talked about it a bunch with the Lakers and then with the Bucks as well. What are the what's the difference to you just between like playing a bunch of minutes and playing hard minutes and why do you think it's affecting those teams so far? I don't know. Well, is it affecting those teams so far or is it something that is you just worried about for I think especially with the case of Anthony Davis and the Lakers given that that AD is has never exactly been an iron man from a health standpoint. Um, it's not just the on the floor. It's it's if you you watch the Lakers play, like AD is having to get tough buckets on offense. He's having to make mm-hmm. tough rotations on defense. He's having to get every rebound. Um, and and so, uh, I think they've maybe found some lineups that that have that are are getting some things a little bit easier. Um, somewhat like like I don't want to say ironically, but but strangely, like the the shooting that Carmelo has provided has been. <laughs> Has been kind of a, a a key to that, but it's just that 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 the grinding sort of physical contact max effort on every play um, makes those minutes. You know, uh, you know, there's a difference. Obviously, there's a difference between playing 35 minutes where you stand in the corner every possession and 35 sure. minutes where you have the ball in your hand every time. And I think the hard minutes are just how much the Lakers are asking AD to do, the Bucks are asking Giannis to do, and the, the Bucks don't really have a functional team they can put on the floor right now. Um, and, and, and it just, you know, you, if I don't know how much of the, of the, the games over the weekend you saw, but like, you know, we're two weeks into the season. Giannis looks tired and it's, and it's, it's, you know, he's having to bring the ball up, beat a double team, try to score over three people, kick it to the corner to Jordan Wara who misses a three and then he has to go chase the rebound. Then he has to guard everybody because Drew Holiday and and Brooke Lopez are, are out, so they're giving up dribble penetration all over the place and have no rim protection unless Giannis is the guy rotating to protect the rim. And so it's it's just the amount that 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 like these guys have to do to keep their teams, you know, sort of in contact in game is a lot. And now in a playoff setting, like can you dial that up for, you know, six weeks and, and have that work? Sure. Are you, are you sort of tempting fate if you're asking a guy to go six months straight of doing that starting in October? I think so. This was kind of my worry uh, before the season about Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry in Miami. And so it's kind of, it's, it is, I guess, somewhat uh, ironic and surprising that it's, 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 it's two of the other teams in, in, uh, in the Lakers and and uh, 
and Bucks and, and, and you know, Katie in, in Brooklyn as well, I think, where, where, it, where it actually has, has been more of an issue so far this season. Yeah, we were talking about that with the Heat a little bit earlier before you jumped on. But the, the thing with the Bucks is, like, if you build your offense around Giannis and Chris and Drew, and Chris and Drew are both out, and then you build your defense around Giannis and Brooke and Drew, and Brooke and Drew are both out, it's Giannis on both ends of the floor, and that's basically it. It's like you can't ask the guy to do that much for that long. You know, it's it's probably more likely to affect them later in the season than it is now. If if something happens with Giannis down the line, like those guys, once they get healthier, it'll be easier for for them to operate on both ends of the floor. And you can make the argument that getting guys like Wara and Grayson Allen and whoever else and Thanasis more minutes early in the season will make Budenholzer more confident in them later in the year. And you got to figure they'll get Dante DiVincenzo back at some point too. But it's asking a lot of a guy who just did a lot, obviously throughout the last couple of seasons and playoffs. And it's another shorter off season than usual too. Yeah. So, you know, they play deep into July and then come back in like early September for training camp. And now obviously you're into the season and all of a sudden, the, the pillars that are supposed to be helping Giannis on both ends of the floor, all of those guys are out. And it's like he's playing with, you know, the guys who are supposed to be the 8th, ninth, 10th men in the rotation, but he's doing that for, like, every minute that he's on the floor. And it's just really difficult to do. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't looked at it after the Utah game, but after the San Antonio game, it's like of the guys who had minutes on their team, like everybody but Giannis and Chris – had a, a usage that was like seventeen or lower, <laughs> and 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 with like and with the exception of like the 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 cameo that like Semi Ojale had had, or something like that, where he he chucked up and missed a bunch of threes in in like his his first couple appearances of the season. But uh, you know, it's it's I don't I don't want to say it's, it's by design because they actually I think they they did you know in in choosing to not re-sign PJ Tucker, but then going out and getting Grayson Allen and. And bringing in Rodney Hood and and you know a, a, a few other things, it did seem like they had more, like they, they had the chance of having a deeper team than they had for the regular season at least last year. But obviously, you know they've been down, you know they've been down Divincenzo all season. They've been down uh, Lopez and Holiday most of the season. Bobby Portis has barely played. Uh, Chris Middleton is in health and safety now. So that's like you're talking about of their, you know maybe. You know, maybe seven guys that they were going to count on for like a playoff rotation, they've got maybe two of them available. Yeah. And I think Middleton just entered the the COVID protocols. So now they're without four of their five presumptive, like not presumptive because DiVincenzo was out to start the year, but four of the five guys that they want to have in their starting lineup are just out. And it's, it's really difficult to operate. And then hood has been out for a lot of the season too. He he just might be done. Yeah. Uh, you have a guy that comes off an Achilles and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, Kirk Henderson is here now. Kirk, you Time's- may know from from Mavs Moneyball, and uh, Kirk, I, I have a question I want to ask Kirk first. Yeah, go ahead, Kirk. How do time zones work? Because I uh, thought this was an hour from now. Uh, well, that 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 too. Uh, well, also, do you know who Bruce Springsteen is? Oh man! Uh, so, but but uh, <laughs> uh, um, no, I just I just like like what do you think of the Mavs' offensive scheme so far this year? Oh God! 
so here's the thing. I've been seeing, like, like you two both know me. I rely on you guys to tell me when, you know, data-related takes. And I've seen some things lately floating around that, like, in the Nuggets game, the Mavericks based off of, like, the kind of shots they were taking, the, just some really odd stuff about, oh, oh, the Mavericks have just been horrendously unlucky. And I can buy that to a point, but I felt that through aspects of the first I mean, there's been six games. Five of the first six games had really just either awful offense or offense that was too complex, um, too much stuff going on. And I don't know what to make of it because I, I've been thinking of the the first. Do you guys remember the the, the pilot of Thirty Rock where De, where Jack Donaghy explains that he he wants to take something that works perfectly well but break it in order to make it his own i feel like that's what jason kidd has done with the mavericks offense i mean i can't say that i've ever heard uh jason kidd compared to jack donaghy but i love it i think that's (laughs) so i've i've watched two of the mavs i think they played six games so far this year i watched them against atlanta in the opener and i watched them against san antonio last week and i'm just like extremely confused i don't know what to think about them i don't know like what's going on with luca like i'm just i'm really confused you obviously watch them every game do you have like an overarching take of like not necessarily like what are they trying to accomplish in your mind because i can't really necessarily tell what like what their goals are on offense or defense. So when Porzingis was playing with the team, and he's only – and this is, is going to be a real surprise. Like, cannot believe this. But Chris Depp Porzingis has only played in three of the available uh, six games to date. So when he was in, in the game, they made a fairly concerted effort to involve him at, at the detriment of the offense. Uh, Zach Lowe pointed out one play in particular where it's – he's just kind of standing at the elbow for no reason. So in those early games, there was a lot of, of – like his turn, your turn, that sort of thing in the offense, which just resulted in them playing terribly. And then these last three games, they've ran a little more Luca-centric stuff. But then the next problem has been that Luca is once again not in shape. And that, of course, just sets, like you say that out loud and you get yelled at by everyone under the sun. But like, I have eyes. I saw him like in need of an oxygen machine at halftime in Denver. And I know it's... No, it's the altitude, but sorry, folks, professional athlete, expect him to be able to play more than, you know, 16 minutes without looking like he's dying. And so uh, some of these things like might self-correct. Dorian Finney-Smith is shooting terribly. Chris Stapps is shooting 30%. Like for as much as I don't particularly care for his game, he's not this bad. So like there's a few things which I think sort of self-correct and maybe bring them back to like an average offense, but I don't, it, it, I, I don't know really what's going on. Like the spacing is just a hair worse everywhere, which has like a compounding effect over the course of the game. I agree. With yeah, that. There was that one uh, clip where it was like, I can't remember who put it on Twitter, but there was like three guys in the paint and Luca sort of dribbling at the top of the key. And then Chris that stripped it into the paint too. And it was like, what are you supposed to do with that? Seth, I I heard you speak up. No, I, um, I no, up? it's it's um, there's something Kirk said earlier about like the the notion that they've been 
like quote unquote unlucky on offense. Um, for the most part, I think that 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 people kind of from 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 the the the, the metrics background don't always apply luck as much on the offensive end. Like if you don't make shots over a bunch of games, that that's that it's more likely to mean you're bad if you miss a bunch of shots uh, than it is you're, that to say that you're bad if the opponent makes 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 or misses a bunch of shots like there's more there's more kind of of the the variance aspect to to what the opponent does on certain shots so that and that leads me into the point where like sort of the Luca's greatness and kind of like Carlisle's kind of chessboard uh, manipulation has, has sort of obscured the fact that there isn't a ton of like creativity and talent on this team and there, there's been sort of crying out for more creators and you know more creators doesn't mean like as you say throwing the ball to Porzingis at the elbow it's you know you started with a 30 rock reference like this that's the arrested de- development uh you know it, it it hasn't worked for anybody else but just maybe it'll work for us I mean it's it's <laughs> I don't know how many different teams and how many different seasons it can be where it's like okay he's tall but that doesn't mean him starting facing away from the basket leads to good outcomes um, and the, but then it's not just Porzingis. It's just there's there's you know Finney Smith is a good but limited player. Um, you know Hardaway Jr. can get his own shot sometimes, but he's not he's not gonna get other people looks. Obviously, like Kleba is a player I've liked for a long time, but he's not gonna create a shot. So that like the the perhaps the only other guy who has a lot of creativity on the team is Jalen Brunson, and. Um, He's fine, but if he's like your 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 sort of your main secondary creator, what does that say about the level of, of creativity you have on your team with the ball to get to guys who you're hoping can then finish? I mean, it it, it seems like you're probably not putting guys in the best positions to finish if that's if that's what you're working with. Yeah, so a couple things here. One, Jalen Brunson also is tiny and not good on defense. And Luca is not tiny, but also not very good on defense right now, especially when he's not in shape. Another thing, like, I think they wanted to address that sort of that lack of a secondary creator. That was, was what was with, you know, the, the Kyle Lowry loomer, uh, loomers, rumors before the offseason started. But obviously, Lowry had a deal with the Heat seven seconds into free agency which was obviously not agreed on beforehand so it's 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 not like they don't know that they need something in that area but barring being able to get that guy i think going in on like we have our big wing creator and we're just going to surround him with shooters like we know that's a formula that works we've seen it work with luca and we've seen it work with lebron who's obviously similarly sized and similarly dominant big wing creator and the issue i think is that their shooters are just shooters and their defenders are just defenders they don't really have anybody who's a two-way guy in those roles they have a lot of one-way players so it's difficult to find lineups where you're good on both ends because they don't have players that are really good on both ends. Kirk, what are, what are your thoughts on that? And then if anybody has any questions for Seth can or Kirk, I, can I, can I, can I, before Kirk answers, can I, can I jump back in for, for of you, course. Asked, you asked me at the start about hard minutes and Luca in the playoffs is like 
the definition of hard minutes. I mean, Kirk and I, we talked about this a lot last year, just the tendency that he has to, because he has to carry such a huge load throughout the games, and then even when he's in shape, he's not the best-conditioned athlete in the NBA. Like, you look at his fourth-quarter numbers in playoff games, and they fall off a cliff. And this was the case with James Harden, too, for for a while. And so that's, you know, you say you get okay, you get a big wing creator and surround him with shooters and let him go. Well, but you're almost setting yourself up for for this kind of kind of late season slash late game fall off because you're you're again you're you're asking your one creative player to play hard minutes at all times. Yeah, I it's a little bit, you know, Jared often uses the phrase a, a solution in search of a problem. <laughs> and I feel that the Mavericks to a degree approach their offseason in that way because you have Luca like we've mentioned, the hard minutes are a real challenge. But if you're not going to do anything to improve the pieces around Luca for the third consecutive season, then I'm not really sure where you go. Because right now I feel as if the kid in particular has pushed he, – he's – he and and then I, I've heard it's the, the – um, what's his name? Um, I don't want to say his name wrong. It starts with a K. Kokosov? Um, his Kokoskov. Kokoskov has has also pushed some of this stuff, but I mean, he was Luca's national team coach. Like, I, 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 there's something odd afoot, and I don't really know what it is yet. But they're also four and two, so it, it's it's a little bit difficult for me to put my finger on what the challenge is because I think as the season goes along, that Jason Kidd is going to continue to push a system that doesn't have the players to do the things that he wants. And and I think he's kind of – please, uh, Jared, correct me if I'm wrong. I think this was kind of his problem in both previous stops where he said, we're going to play this way regardless of what the team makeup was. And I just don't see how that how that works over an 82-game season with this group of – No comment. Surely, surely Seth doesn't have any comments on Jason Kidd's coaching uh, <laughs> This is the, the this is yeah, the no. dip lips emoji. Fair, okay. Well, let, yeah. let me then, then then let me let me adjust to to say that like one thing I I've been very confused about is there was a an organizational wide push starting with Donnie Nelson who then got let go and then picked up by Jason Kidd when he was hired that Luca was the problem and so. I struggle to sort of because, like, on the one hand, I agree with Seth's comments about the the minutes being hard. And I mean, if you look at Luca's minutes totals this year, it's already pretty. It's like they're playing a playoff rotation. Um, I I don't know whether Luca needs to be more differential or if they need to get better players because it feels like the solution is get better players so then he can be more deferential. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think that you know you mentioned already they're four and two, like. There's only so many problems that you can have with your team when you have a player as good as Luca. He's going to paper over a lot of issues. Like he's essentially going to be an offense unto himself, a guy who can you know anchor a top five, top ten offense. If you put you know you, me, and two shooters around him, he'll be able to manufacture offense. And I can't move, so he'll still be able to do it. It's like there's a there, there's only so many there's only so bad they can be I guess I want to say but the the elephant in the room here and we'll, we'll let Seth uh, 
get out of here in a couple seconds, but the elephant in the room is just Chris Stapps has not been as good as they thought he would be when they traded for him. And some of that has been health, and some of that has been him agitating for a different role. Like, I don't know if you think, like, kid's the guy to get that out of him. Like, Seth, what's your what's your thoughts on Chris Stapps before you go? Um, thought the, the, the trade at the time was, I think, a decent gamble to make, especially considering you kind of came out of with, with Tim Hardaway Jr. also. Um, but like you said, just I think as much for health as for anything else. Um, I think we saw sort of um, end of, of the first season, especially kind of in the bubble before he hurt himself again. I think you kind of started to see what you would like to see from that. And um, his his play really on both ends of the court has not, has not uh, has not lived up to the kind of the the jump shooting rim protection rim protecting foil that uh, w- was really what you wanted for for uh, Luca and and you know it's just at a certain point you just got to say okay well we made a good bet and it went against yep. us or made a bad bet and it went against us but at this point the bet has gone against them right like the whole thing about him being a unicorn or whatever was that he was going to be a stretch five. That was also like an elite rim protector. And if you're not an elite rim protector anymore, and you also can't really guard in space, which was sort of his his weakness as a defender from the beginning, you're not really a unicorn anymore. And then if you're also not really able to be the five because of those defensive weaknesses now, all of a sudden he can't really be the top screener either and needs to be more of a spacer. And that makes the offense really good. Like, they've been an, an absolutely outrageously good offense with Luca and Chris Stapps on the floor from the moment that he stepped on the floor. But it's kind of like an underutilization of a guy with that skill set if he's just going to be spotting up around the arc. Like, you could get Ryan Anderson types to spot up around the arc and maybe try to find somebody who's, who's better on defense. It's like they're simultaneously underutilizing him on one end and he's not giving them enough on the other to justify the investment of him on offense and like it made sense to go get him for a relatively low cost at the time but like you said it might just be a bet that's sort of gone against them and and Kirk I see you itching to get in your thoughts here what's up oh my dog started drinking water and I didn't want the room to have to deal with that horrendously loud noise (laughs) so so the Porzingis a few things. So since he's been a Maverick, if we don't include the year that he was traded, he's played 103 out of 161 possible regular season games as a Maverick. That sucks. 65% is not, is not going to get it done. Now, some of this is, is I feel bad for him because he really does want to play. That's Pelicans would take that ratio. I just want to jump in and say Pelicans <sighs> would take that. <laughs> but it's, you know, he has horrendous biomechanics. We, Jared shared with me a story. He wrote the day, like the week around, like around the time he was traded. He's like, Hey, look at this. And I remember he had 13 lower body injuries, which missed time before he was a maverick. He's just a man made out of glass. He, he lands on one leg all the time. He just, he doesn't self-correct for all the talk about how his body's better. His body's the same. And I don't know, he's probably past the point where he can make much of a difference in it. I will say this year in the three games that he has played, he was moving quite well. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was actually to the point to where I was like, oh, this is nice. Because 
last year the the Blazers were the best at this because Dame just exposed the drop coverage that the Mavericks would do over and over again, where Porzingis was not even shuffling. Like he had a hard time going side to side. And so for now, he looks okay when he's been able to play. But again, he's been out four games with back tightness. Back tightness is the sort of thing, and I'm not a doctor, but I'm also hurt enough to know a little bit of what I'm talking about. This is the sort of stuff when I mean I say is poor biomechanics. Like if you can't make it through three NBA games without ha- like having back spasms and then you have to wait another week, like what is, is just going on? I mean, it's a bad bet and the Mavericks are going to have to eat the cost. He'll probably end up having a good stretch this year where everybody yells at me about how I'm being too mean about Porzingis. But it's, you know, at a certain point, the, the greatest ability is availability and the Mavericks have, have placed a real big bet on him that that isn't going to work out. And, and it's just, it's a little bit disappointing. Yeah, uh, so that that story that you referenced, I wrote about his health during his rookie year and how the the Knicks were trying to plan on keeping him healthy. And, you know, during his rookie season, he played the first like 65 games in a row or whatever and was like, I'm going to play through every small injury because I want to be the guy that's that's out there every game. But he kept having these sort of, you know, minor lower body injuries, basically. And they just kept adding up. And they, for the most part, they were all on the same side of his body. And then he started getting hurt on the other side of his body, too. And then, obviously, he had the um, the, the torn ACL. And that's, things have sort of been sent off from there. And there was something that I wrote last year about Chris Stapps, where I, I basically wrote about everything that we're talking about. Whenever he's on the court, they're an elite offense. And, you know, he, he just hasn't lived up to the billing on defense. And one of the things that wound up getting cut from the story was basically I looked at the history of seven footers who have played like more than a hundred games in their career and the rate of games that they played early in their career and then later in their career. And it's just, most of these guys just don't really last beyond like six or seven years in the league in terms of their ability to stay on the court. And he's, you know, he's getting to that point now. I think this is his, sixth year in the league obviously he missed one year as well but guys that big are just not made to last all that long in the nba so it's just like it shouldn't be surprising that like 65 percent of games that that's not that low when you look at the history of guys his size this is actually his, his seventh season but sixth year that he's playing because he sat out the entire 18 19 uh, season with the ACL injury, but guys that are that big, seven three, like early in his career, he moved so well for a guy that size. It made no sense. And you know, I agree with you. In that first game that I watched, he he didn't play the game against the Spurs that I watched, but he was looking like much healthier in that game against the Hawks than he did uh, for most of last season. But then all of a sudden, he's got to sit out the next you know three games, and it's just like guys that size. I don't know if there's anything you can do about them getting hurt all the time. Yeah, I, I feel for him. And then there's, there's, but then there's also the additional component of the Carmeloization of Porzingis where he wants to be one thing and he's just not that guy. And if he would just do the things that he was good at, like if he, if, if he, if the Mavericks played him like a seven foot three clay Thompson, where he would, you know, move a little, and shoot the ball with very little dribbling, I suspect he'd be one of the most efficient players in the NBA. But instead they do things like give him these post touches, which he says he needs. And I don't know his point point per game right now, but I want to say 
or uh, not point per game, uh, points per possession on post-ups. But I want to say he was scoring like 0.7 points per possession on post-ups in 2022 or 2021. So there's, it's just a, a real inability to reconcile who he thinks he is versus who he is. And it's, you know, he says all the right things and he's blaming coach Carlisle for a fair amount of stuff and whatever gets you up in the morning. But I mean, the real deal is, is his body is failing him and he's also not as good as he, he thinks. I mean, my longstanding contention, had he gone to any other media market where he was just a guy who could do stuff, he would probably have a much more interesting career. But instead, he has these bursts of games. Like, it happened in uh, 1920. It was, uh, or was it, yeah, it was right before the bubbles, uh, uh, before the season shut down, where he was February and March. He shot like 75% off post-ups for 14 games and was looking like a god. And then the season shut down. And he had a stretch like that uh, in one of his New York seasons. And it's like everybody builds on those short bursts when what makes a season and really a career is the ability to do it most nights. And he just is not that guy. Yeah, he, in in every season in New York, he would, every season went the same way. He would start the season off in playing like incredible basketball. And then he would get some sort of minor injury in in like November or December. And then he would sort of struggle for a little bit. And then he had a season ending injury. Literally every single season went that exact same way. Great start, minor injury, struggle for a little bit, season ending injury. Some of them were more minor than others, but that's how every season went. And it seems like that's just like, he can only play at his peak when he's fully healthy. And it's just hard to keep a guy that size with that skill set fully healthy. Like, it kind of sucks because the player that he is when he's at his best is a really good, really impactful player. But it's just, it's hard to access that guy, I guess. Oh, hello, mute button. I know how these things work. Yeah, and and, and I, I I hope he gets on some sort of of case, like like health case where he's able to play pretty well. I mean, I I've been talking, uh, you know, to the site that I run, Mavs Moneyball, where uh, the kind of editorial position I would like for us to take is to not crush him for this because you know as well as I do because you covered him. He desperately wants to prove people wrong. Oh and yeah, I think it it really works to his detriment at this point because he just can't. And if he physically cannot do something. That is not something I really want to lay on him. It's, but there's really been no recognition from him that he can't do these things. And I, I understand why, professional athlete, you got to have these mindsets. But it just it sets expectations up way too high. And and really, I would like to be pleasantly surprised with him because he he he's right now. I I say he 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 really puts a ceiling on the Mavs this season because if he's not going to be able to play. They're not really, you know, or if he's only going to be able to play sixty percent of games, then they're they're just going to struggle because the, despite the balance, the, the balance in the Mavs schedule, like I don't think they have anything like the Lakers where they have to just actually play real teams in March and April. Um, the the Mavericks are, are going to be okay just because of the Luca floor that you mentioned earlier, but it's it's very odd. Um, because I was really, I, I had sort of talked myself into all the season and even in spite of all the Jason Kidd stuff. And then we're like seven games in and right now I'm just like, Ugh, I don't really, because <laughs> they're going to play, the, like they play the heat here in about an hour and a half. 
And I think it's going to be like the small ball lineup of everybody's dreams, but it's going to be between two teams that are like going to grind out points. And it's uh, NBA bat. Like we just have so much basketball that I'm sure you know within 30 games I might feel wildly different. And they are still four and two. Like right. If you right. got what, what Luca, like I said, it's going to cover a lot of stuff because he's just that good. I'm I'm curious though. What's the move that you would make for them? Like, is it that secondary ball handler? Is it figure? Is it getting more of the like the wing and off guard guys that are two way guys instead of one way guys? Like, obviously, ideally, you can do both of those things. But which of those do you think is more important? So the two K GM in my brain says you get the players that fit. So the what what you mentioned second, like the wings and that sort of thing, is probably more important from a basketball uh, team building layout. But from we know that personalities matter in this, and what players want matter in this way more than schematics sometimes. And right now, I think Luka Doncic desperately needs Goran Dragic on the team. He has been in. He the Mavericks do not have an emotional leader at the moment. And if there's one thing we can say about Goron is that he is emotional. It is a added benefit that they are countrymen who have a long-standing relationship. But I'm of the opinion right now that Luca is kind of on the nice edge of his professional career, where he's shown that he can show up out of shape and still drop 30. And he needs someone to tell him to cut the shit, to get in shape, to stop barking at refs, to play on defense, to pay attention. And I don't think there's anyone on the Mavericks coaching staff that can tell him that. Because even with Jason Kidd, even with Jared Dudley, even with Christy, uh, what's her name, uh, Tolliver, um, they, they have some real you know interesting coaches that can reach him. But I think he needs someone that can really tell him to, to you know, cut the crap. Um, the, the, the moving on and placing him in charge of the team in, in 2018-19 was, in retrospect, a mistake. Because he has clearly not shown that he's – the guy, uh, he's not mature enough for it. I, I, I don't know any other way to say it because I think that will really – Luca. you only go as far as Luca can take you, and if he's only going to show up ready to play every third game, which is kind of the case, then they're just not going to be able to hit where they can go. Um, that So I, I think the secondary – like Goran also patches that secondary ball handler thing. You might, all, you might only get 40 games out of him, but I think that's sort of the trade – That that's sort of the thing you're willing to make. And – Cuban, at least Tim McManus said the Mavericks aren't willing to pay up. And I, I just don't understand this because you cannot put a price on professionalism and on a guy knowing how to play, but like be a pro in, in the toughest league in the world. And, and it's just something that, that I, I will never understand. Yeah. The, the whole countryman thing is like, I get it, especially when it's guys from, you know, there's, there's not that many um, Slovenians there. Um, it's Slovenia, right? That that he's from. Why am I? Yeah, um, there's not like there's some Slovenians in the NBA. There's not a ton of them. So if that makes him more comfortable, great. Um, he also, again, like you mentioned, is a solid enough secondary ball handler. Like he just played that role for Miami with with Dwayne Wade and then with Jimmy Butler, like he fits what they need. He's a pretty good shooter. So he can play off the ball too. He's not playing at all right now for Toronto. Cause they're using De- uh, Delano Benton 
who is the most gigantic point guard in the league. He's like 6'9", 6'10". They're, <laughs> they're using him as their, their backup point guard. Um, so Dragic isn't playing. I can't imagine that the Raptors won't, like think they're getting a ton for him. Like, What's the price that Cuban won't meet there? I guess you do but have to match salary. It, it, he wouldn't part with Dwight Powell. He refuses to part with Dwight freaking Powell. And and then they whatever leverage they might have had this summer, whenever they whenever people were still maybe moderately confused as to whether Josh Green could play basketball. Um, spoiler alert: he cannot. Neither can Tyrell Terry, who is no longer with the team. Um, the Mavericks sort of lost any and all leverage. I mean, I just think that they need to do whatever they can to make those salaries work. I, they're going to wait on the buyout, which is going to really frustrate me. Yeah, I mean. Dwight Powell, like, I get it because they don't think Chris Dabbs can play center anymore. And you don't know that Kleba can play – like, Kleba obviously can't play 48 minutes. And you don't necessarily want to use Boban as a regular piece of the rotation because there's a lot of teams that he just can't stay on the floor against defensively. And then uh, Willie Cauley-Stein has not really necessarily proven to be, you know, a guy that they can count on the rotation either. So they do kind of need Powell. But – also, just like play Chris Depp's center. I don't know if... That's a like, lot of roster spots that you're just have, kind of They have punting. six centers on the roster. And they don't like, and, and they don't like uh, any of them enough to move on from Dwight Powell. Like, yeah. That's, it's like that's, the that's, Nets have seven problem. centers too, but at least they're, you know, sort of rotating through those guys to try to uh, to find something that, that works. And, like, granted, I don't think any of their two big lineups are going to work at all, and their best center is clearly Bruce Brown anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Where did he go to college? I, I, uh, <laughs> the, the best school in the country. But it's also like that's like legit true though. He is their best center. Uh, I know Lamarcus is shooting well to start the season, but they're pretty clearly at their best when they're doing you know that that Harden Brown pick and roll with KD and Joe Harris and another shooter out there. The issue is they don't have another shooter right now either. So uh, they're they're gonna have to figure some things out. But enough about the Nets. We were talking Mavs for a while. Um, Seth, you can find at The Athletic and at StatsBomb by his book, The Midrange Theory. The link is in the chat earlier. Kirk, you can find at Mavs Moneyball and arguing with people on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on, guys. Super appreciate it. Thanks to everybody for dropping by. Thanks for the questions and for, uh, for helping me kill time earlier on before these two guys showed up when they said they would because uh, Kirk doesn't know about time zones and uh, and Seth was, you know, getting more people to buy his book, hope, hopefully. I was, but, uh, was, really, I was like, oh, thank we're going to talk much. right up until the game. That'll be great. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll be back Thursday, 5 to 6, with a guest to be determined. Thanks so much, and uh, see you again soon.